0: Hot as six hells in Texas degrees today. We are in the midst of a crazy <laughs> wave. It's triple digits. Have y'all ever heard tell of a heat index that's going to be over 120 degrees? Well, that's what we're being knocked in the head with here in Texas. So happy Saturday, everybody. This is House Talk Pregame. I am sports family therapist, licensed couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. My personal Santa Claus is back, and Ronnie. What's Ronnie, up? I What's don't up? care that I'm the only Cowboys fan on the show today. I'm still a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. Good morning, everybody. Good morning.
1: Good morning, morning, Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to this is our season finale of season three, episode one thirty. So glad to be back. To, so glad to be back, Doctor Piss. Let me tell you something. So we are three days we into the summer. We right? got company. We got company. Don't be no 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 cheap shots. I promise. We're three days in the summer, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let me tell you the temperatures for the last three days here in Central Virginia for the first three days of summer. Day number one of summer, sixty-five. Day number two of summer, seventy-five. Day three today, we're looking at possibly seventy-seven degrees. Where is summertime in Virginia? This is ridiculous. It's been raining the last four days nonstop for no reason whatsoever i ain't gonna lie i would take a little bit of 90 95 degree heat at this point just so i could be outside but that's neither here nor there we got a great show lineup you all today we got the season finale we got two wonderful guests here today we got mr mark Ayler Award and we got greg thomas gentlemen thank you for joining us this morning how are both you all doing this morning
2: doing great thanks for having me doing good awesome.
1: Awesome. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We're looking forward to kicking off the uh, season finale the right way. Like I said, the last rep is the best rep. So looking forward to having a phenomenal show. We got a great topic lineup today called Exit Interviews. You know, regardless of the sport you play, every sport, whether it's high school, college, or professional leagues, you have an exit interview at the very end of the season. We're going to get into what exit interviews are, but also, too, how you can have personal exit interviews in your life with any goals you have professional, career-wise, or anything like that, relationship-wise, the whole nine yards. Before we get into that topic and before we get into our mental health tip of the week, (laughs) since this is our last episode, Dr. Pitts, Dr. Pitts, this is episode 130 overall, this season alone, we we managed to do 42 episodes this season. So shout out to us for doing 42 episodes this season. We've had 25 guests this season, the most guests we've had so far in our three seasons of House yeah. Talk Pregame, and it's been phenomenal. Um, I just want to read off all the guests we've had this season and, and really thank them and, and and compliment them for contributing to our show this season. Their insight, their perspectives have been phenomenal. We really appreciate all of them, and we're hoping we get all of them back and then some for next season. So, what guests we had this season is Mr. Chris Laura, Ted Wright, who held it down as a guest host a couple of times this season. Shout out to Ted, Mr. Terry Ayers, Sangika Street, Juan Moylan, Zinsu Toviesi, Mark Allen, Mr. Brian Maiden. Or I'm sorry, Dr. Brian Maiden. Let me, let me my bad, my bad, doctor. Uh, Miss mm-hmm. Justice Stafford, Camille Dogbay, Shannon Foreman, Kevin Miminger. Ms. Carla Devereaux coming in for as a guest host, shout out to Ms. Carla, Mr. Daniel Brooks, Courtney Mendenhall, Sean Harper, Eric Diagatti, Tyrell Brown, Phil Dunlap, Micah Duwani, Pat Sullivan, Danny Covey, John Petre- Petrelli, and then today Mr. Mark Award and Greg Thomas. Shout out to each and one of you all for coming on the show, contributing to everything we've done this season. We couldn't have been this far and done everything we've did without all our guests. So thank you to everybody who contributed to the show this season. And you know, man, it, it's been wonderful. Um, so, Doctor Pitts, any any comments on that, Doctor Pitt? We we've really had a, a phenomenal season this season.
0: It's just been a blessing. I feel like every season and every show, um, we we get gooder and gooder. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, it's, it's just been such a tremendous blessing. Um, we have met so many great people and just, you know, by word of mouth, people coming on the show, having a really great time, having these conversations with us, have referred us to other people. We've had more professionals, you know, and, and people who are involved in sports and mental health and, and relationships reach out to us wanting to be guests on the show. Um, it's just a tremendous blessing. And it reminds me of something that my uncle said a few years ago before he passed. I was sort of having a, a low sense of self day and, and was just really feeling defeated. Because I, I tell people I'm a human therapist, right? And I was just feeling really defeated. And we were at my aunt and uncle's house, and he leaned across the dining room table. And he's Don't Ronnie, no jokes when I tell you what my nickname is. He said, Doom, they will come for you. Cool and it blessed me so much because so oftentimes we're trying to make things happen and you and I have never done that we this is a labor of love for us you say all the time that you know this is not about clicks for us we're 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 not doing this to to make money if that comes about great but that's not why we do this we do this because we want to get this message out so we we you know, we've shared some frustrations that we've had when there have been people that we've reached out to that didn't even extend the common courtesy of saying thank you, but no thank you. Just crickets, just crickets. And I think that that's just so unprofessional, but the flip side of it is that God has continued to bless us anyway. And we have just a phenomenal, phenomenal Rolodex of guests that Really embrace and support what we're doing, and that wanted to be a part of these conversations. So, for me, it's very humbling, um, and I, all I have is gratitude. I just have such a tremendous amount of gratitude for each and every guest that we've had over these past three seasons, and the guests that are that are yet coming because we're we're getting lo- the bases are loaded of for for next season, and it's just it's just a blessing.
1: So yeah, no, shout out to everybody we've had on the show. It's been a wonderful experience so far. Met a lot of cool people, a lot of different spaces and everything. So we're really looking forward to season four and really yeah. making this train really take off. So thank you for that, Dr. Pitts. Um, Dr. Pitts, do you have a mental health tip of the week this week?
0: It is, it's going to be brief, but, and it's a play on words. So um, as I was reflecting on our topic for today, one of the things that, that really came to me is um, I want to start, a women's group, Ronnie, that is addressing women's mental health and, and their presence in relationships. Because mm-hmm. what I'm hearing in my work, just based on the clients that I've previously worked with and I'm working with now, that exit interview thing, folks, there's this mass exodus. Folks don't want to do relationship work anymore. Folks want to just relationship hop. You know, they're they're shattered to the core of soul they're broken, nobody's taking the time to heal, and they're exiting these relationships, like, you know, they're, they're exiting jobs. It's like, oh, there's another, there's another, there's another, there's another. And that is something we have got to stop. We have got to stop the cycle of being the walking wounded and then entering these relationships, shattered to the core of our soul, and thinking that the next relationship is gonna be different. I've said before, and I will continue to say, Each of us is the common denominator in every relationship that we have ever found ourselves in. So particularly when you look at your presence in your intimate relationships, you have to take a step back. Stop blaming, stop shaming, stop scapegoating, stop knocking somebody in the head verbally and emotionally and accusing them of failing you in the relationship. They couldn't be in a relationship with you if you didn't enter it. And you're, you you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, expecting a different result, and then you're exiting and doing the same thing. Well, we call that the technical definition of insanity. So we've got to stop that. You have to break that cycle, and I am sort of teasing out and being prayerful um, when I'm going to do that. Uh, but, but I am I'm, I'm going to do that because, as you know, I'm very solution focused and I want to be a part of the solutions and not a part of the problem because we have got to stop this mass exodus from relationships um, and just carrying the the weight of the the brokenness from one relationship to the next.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that. and I, I think you know um, the, the work you're willing to do with women, I think would be very uh, impactful and beneficial. Um, And if I can add to that, when you talk about the scapegoating and blaming and things like that, I think part of that also, too, especially in our community, um, you know, men, And I talked about, we talked about before the show started about, you know, how men have to be accountable for men in regards to know what it means to be a man and financial responsibilities and things like that being a provider and protector but also in terms of relationships too we us as the older men ones who are married established been in relationships things like that we have to also turn back and help our younger men out as too, and not and be the example that they need to be when it comes to courting women and respecting women and things like that and having relationships and things you know, know we live in a society nowadays where you know people have a lot of different views about what marriage is and relationships are and things like that but at the end of the day if you do embark in that journey of being married with somebody and things like that, we talk about it all the time, it's a day-to-day commitment. It's not a, you know, just because I say I do, you become one, you know, it is a constant effort and investment every single day in investing in each other, but also more importantly, investing in yourself and how you best show up in your relationship. So I wholeheartedly agree with that, you know, that, yeah, um, once again, I'm not gonna comment on what women need to do because I'm not a woman, but you know that's why we have wonderful people like you, Doctor Piss, who take care of that. But from a man's perspective, yeah, men we have to hold men accountable. And you know when we see men doing wrong things and saying wrong things, we have to be able to check them in a way where it's not I'm attacking you or you know attacking your character. I'm attacking your behaviors. And I think we need to really need to have a lot of that in today's society. So I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, yeah. uh, so let's go ahead and get into the topic. So you know we talked about our topic being exit interviews and things like that. So before we jump in. Um, Dr. Pizz, I know you wanted to read the bios for uh, Mr. Mark Award and Greg Thomas, so go right on ahead.
0: So our first guest is Mark Elward and Mark is uh, from a whole family of athletes and sports nuts and his daughters, both won championships in volleyball in high school, Division 6A. Many of the volleyball parents were ex-pros and most of those players were Division I scholarship recipients. Mark loves talking about sports and the mental toughness required to play as well as stopping playing when it's time. He loves to speak openly about his athletic and mental health trajectories and relationships. Additionally, Mark helps people in states of professional uncertainty gain clarity around the obstacles, keeping them from moving forward with strategic and tactical guidance. He has over 30 years experience in the technical staffing space as an owner operator, generating over $75 million in revenue and has created four millionaires that he is aware of and I'm about to be his fifth.
2: So, welcome,
0: <laughs> welcome Mark.
2: Thank you, Dr. Pitts. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Our next guest is Greg Thomas. Greg is a member of the Plano ISD family and has served the past two years with the Student, Family, and Community Social Service Department as a truancy specialist through the PARB, Plano Attendance Review Board a program established to re-engage students on the verge of dropping out or not graduating. Greg spent 24 years on the Plano East Senior High Campus as the substance abuse at risk counselor, step team founder, bowling club founder, sponsor, and varsity assistant basketball coach. Welcome, Greg. And he's right down the road, too.
3: Right <laughs> down the road. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Man, so gentlemen, thank you for being a part of this topic today. So. Uh, Mark, we'll start with you, man. So um, when we talk about exit interviews and things like that, um, when I think of sports and everything, so when I was in college, we would do a uh, preseason interview and then a postseason exit interview. Um, our preseason interview took kind of place where it was you know you write down your goals for the season your team goals your individual goals at the end of the season you will review team goals and individual goals with your position coach and the head coach and you'll talk about you know what your expectations were for yourself and how they played out and you would also get feedback from your coaches about what their expectations of you were and how that played out um so when you think of exit interviews in relation to sports uh and things like that mark what comes to mind
2: You know, as we kind of were talking uh, earlier, Ronnie, I think it's just a a formalization of this exercise. It seems like some people are getting the benefit of exercises like this, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't. So there's no, you know, when I talk to people about changing jobs or finding their next professional purpose, if you will, I find people are, they, they jump into the tactical thing, which is, well, let's get a resume. Let's go start throwing it around. Let's try to get some conversations going. And I, I tend to say, well, let's talk about what you want to do first, right? Mm, Let's talk about why you want to do that. Right. And let's give you, give yourself some permission to consider possibilities that perhaps before this discussion, you would never have considered. You don't have Mm. to do this or that. You can do pretty much anything that you want that you're capable of. Let's start that conversation first. Let's not go looking for something until we understand what we're looking for and why we're looking for it. So that's what comes to mind when you say that.
1: Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Greg, what about you, sir? Same question.
3: Well, many things that that I look at now with our young folks, especially those that I'm, you know, with the basketball program, for those that receive The opportunity to play at the next level, that's good. And for those other ones, my goal is just to get them in school somewhere, to get them out of Plano. So there's a whole different world outside of Plano, Texas. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't believe that, but there is. Um, But give them an opportunity to go see, learn, explore, experience, and then they can always come back home. And the conversation is always what's your next goal? What plans that we put? Interaction, you know did you graduate are we going to graduate mm-hmm. yes once we graduated why are you looking at this school oh I'm sorry let's look at this school there's a technical school you may not be a four-year student but maybe mm-hmm. you can get an associate's degree and learn how to do things with your hand mechanical school engineering etc and just trying to make sure that they have a future and that's my number one goal my number one job coaching basketball is the release but the number one thing I have to do is try to make sure young people are getting a chance to get out and and live and you don't right. you can't live if you don't have a house at least a high school education and Absolutely. so we try to get that for them and then afterwards they they gain that then we're off and running those that that don't gain it those are the ones we have to pick up for those are the ones that get in trouble those are the ones that Getting married early and then get divorced earlier, you know, having kids and then they struggle to find themselves for the next twenty years.
1: Right, man. Absolutely.
0: The the clinical and life coaching term that I use for what uh, you both describe, gentlemen, is blueprinting, and I talk to my clients about creating a blueprint for their next. With the understanding that you are the master architect of your own life, so you need to give consideration to what do you want to do, be, have, give, create, and experience. And if you can fill in those blanks with great clarity, then you are on your way to creating a a rock solid blueprint for your next. And then one Mm -hmm. of the other things that I give them to think about is I have a list of (coughs) questions that I ask them that helps them to clarify whether or not what they're envisioning as it relates to the answers to those preliminary questions if it's actually right for you because so often times like you said folks just jump in and stuff they just jump in and they just move in and shake and move in and shake and move in and shake and, and it's like all this time has gone by you can't really clarify or, or, or articulate what you've learned and you are just like a ship at sea with no port in mind you're just sort of bouncing along with the waves and not really having any substantive direction about where you're headed, so we just wanted to add, to add that you got a blueprint. You have to lay that blueprint down.
1: Absolutely, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Dr. Piscoz. because when I think of blueprints, one of the things I uh, I talk with athletes and and patients about is this idea, and I'm pretty sure some of you, but well, all of you, all heard of this. is called smart goals. Um, smart goals is an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based goals. And when we think of athletes setting goals preseason and then evaluating those post seasons, I think this acronym is really smart, especially when we talk about team goals and, and individual goals. Because we we know as a team, everybody's uh, you know first team goal is to win it all. I think that's kind of the standard goal for everybody. We have this idea that we're going to win it all, um, and you know that's a very that's a very admirable goal and a very you know um, ideal thing to have. But when it comes to you know really setting smart goals. One of the things I really think that stick out to me is the idea of accountability and being you know, aware of your actual limits in that time of what, you know, and what is realistic to achieve over the course of a season, over the course of a year or six months or whatever the case may be. We know most athletic seasons last anywhere from three to four months. So when setting goals like that, understanding that this is for a specific amount of time, what realistically can I achieve in this amount of time from a team standpoint and an individual standpoint? And I think that's important for athletes to know. For example, When I would make my goals to start the season, you know, obviously team goals was, you know, win the national championship, win the conference championship, get into the playoffs, things like that. The team goals and things like that. But individual goals, it was, you know, for me, I played center in college. So, you know, first and foremost, I want to be able to start every game, you know, get through the season healthy. Then it was be able to, you know, possibly make all conference teams and then so on and so forth. Um, But I kept those realistic because I know that, you know, playing center, playing on the offensive line is one of the most self, you know, uh, selfless positions you can play on a football team, but it's one of the most important positions too. So having an idea of that, how my role plays within the entire team role, you know, I would if I do my job, yes, individually I achieve my goals and doing my job, I can help the team reach their goals too. But I think it's important for people to have those specific measurable goals. I think a lot of times when people set goals, they say, well, you know, the most famous one, I want to lose weight. Okay, that's the goal, but that's a very broad goal. How much weight do you want to lose? I want to lose 100 pounds in six months. Okay, that's a little bit more specific. But can we be even more specific? Because 100 pounds in six months is like 20 pounds, give or take a month, 18 pounds a month, give or take. That's a lot to ask of yourself. You break that down by a week, you're asking yourself to lose three to four pounds a week. Can you really attain? Can you really maintain some type of consistency with that? So I think it's really important that when we talk with young people, and also even adults too, when you set goals, make sure that they're Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. Because if you're just setting goals with really no end point at all, you can you can work on that goal forever if you need to. Um, and this I also wanted to ask you all too, uh, in terms of accountability, how important is accountability when it comes to goal setting, but also evaluating your effort you put towards your goal in the process of doing them? And whoever wants to answer that first, by all means.
2: Yeah, I I think the uh, I love the word accountability. I don't I don't think we use that word often enough. The thing that strikes me, Ronnie, as you're talking is um, one of the things I think that makes people reticent to set goals is they feel like you're locked into this goal forever. And I think like like a like a company doing a business plan, you you pivot when things change, you make you make changes to this plan on the fly as you learn and external circumstances change. So maybe that'll free some people up to be able to commit to goal setting and being accountable to those goals if they understand that just like your career, you know things change you can pivot you're you're not stuck on those. it's just a starting point it's a it's a it's a guiding light.
3: Well I, I look at it similarly, but it's not the same in a sense. When you're dealing with young folks, they don't—they don't have the same goal set thought process. They just want to win it all. Right. Uh, you put, you break it down in terms of accountability on time frame, practice, practice outside of practice, uh, mm-hmm. eating, <laughs> getting rest, etc. But they're still young folks. So when right. you use the, the smart terminology, you—I have not used it. Uh, I will implement that. But I write goals down for them every day. Word of the day, goal of the day, uh, situational stuff on the board when they walk into the locker room. Uh, mm-hmm. When I'm dealing with our students that aren't close to achieving, let's let's say the high school diploma because that's the area that I'm working with, the, the number one goal is to be present. Mm-hmm. Once you're present, then we can work on that. If I can get the student to school and get them into the right classroom, frame of mind, instructor, however you want to put it, mm-hmm. we've already won half the battle. Once they're present and then you give them that extra pat encouragement, acknowledgement that what they're doing is going to benefit them, mm-hmm. then they can buy in. And, and that's been the, the, the hardest thing, but it's the most rewarding thing is to seeing someone that wasn't close to graduating. Mm-hmm graduate, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Or once Always they get that first thing. class done and they finish that first subject, mm-hmm. and then you go to another subject uh, and you see their eyes light up, now you know you have planted some seeds
0: mm-hmm. and now we have
3: an opportunity. So once we get them present and then getting them to buy into that whatever goal is set uh, and then you're working toward it, that, that's the reward. That's the number one reward. For for me personally, Ronnie, I did the same thing in college. I played college Mm -hmm. football. Uh, I was a college quarterback. Um, The first time you get that very negative response, someone makes a comment, or they put it in the paper and you read it, and Mm -hmm. it's like a ton of bricks. Yeah. At that point in time, you okay? Now I got a goal. They said Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Now I have to work on that goal. What's the team goal? Yes. Here's my individual goal. I'm going to throw this many passes a day. I'm going to hit this many out routes today. I'm going to hit this many dropbacks. We're going to hit it. You know, you start finding ways to make the audible to address whatever negativity that was there. So my right. goal, I put them on the side of my door. I tell the players all the time, right down your throat, you put it by your mirror, you put it by your door, and you see it three, four, five times a day, that's mm-hmm. your accountability. Am I trying to here's the goal? Am I working toward that goal?
0: Hmm.
3: And, and to you know, to, to to my own self be true. If I'm not working toward it, I can not be upset at the at the at failing. But if I'm right. working toward it and I'm putting in that effort, then you know the sky's the limit. All
1: right. So oh, go ahead, Dr. Pitts.
0: I I think that um when you talk about goals and accountability, it's also important to sort of tie it together or weave it together with that beautiful word expectations. One of the Mm -hmm. things that we know to be true when it comes to expectations is that setting expectations too low or setting expectations too high has been linked to mental health issues, right? So what I tell clients is you have three relationships with expectations. You have the expectations that you impose upon others. You have the expectations that you impose upon yourself and you have your response to the expectations that others impose upon you. So when you're looking at those three expectation relationships within the context of your goals and of your accountability, it's really important to understand how you're showing up, right? right. How are you responding to the fact that coach has put on his door, you know, this is what you need to get accomplished or whatever the case may be. And we need to create an emotionally safe space for our athletes to be able to have those conversations with us regarding how they're navigating each of those relationships with expectations, because each of those relationships with expectations is going to directly positively or negatively influence how they set goals, how they achieve them, and how effective they are in their ability to hold themselves accountable for achieving those goals that we've set for them. And what we know to be true is if, you know, you you talked about it, right? That if things don't go the way that they think that they should go, which we talk about that from a control perspective, everything is not going to go the way that you think that it should. Don't let that hinder you in any way, shape, form, or fashion for getting up, dusting yourself off and continuing to move forward. Take responsibility and accountability for any part you may have played in what didn't go your way learn from it and move on, which is that failure piece. Failure really isn't failure. I tell all of my clients, failure is feedback. It's, you know what, maybe this is not the way to go. Maybe this is not the way to try to achieve this goal. Coach um, Thomas, you said it, right? Maybe a four-year institution of higher learning isn't for you, but that doesn't mean you can't go to technical school. What can you do? So keeping those options open, but really understanding that how we relate to expectations is going to have a direct impact on goals and accountability.
1: Dr. Pitts, I don't know what type of voodoo you've been uh, you don't put down this morning, but you got to be reading my mind or able to read my paper over here of how I'm doing these transitions, because I literally was about to transition into falling short and processing, you know, losing seasons. And so I wanted to ask I wanted to ask the group. um, So how do you talk with younger people, young athletes, adults and things like that in terms of when they fall short of their goals and helping them process and make sense of that? Um, but also, what are some of the things you all learned individually growing up about falling short on goals and how you've learned to, you know, like Dr. Pitt said, it's not necessarily failing. It's also understanding that it was a lesson learned in that failure. So um, whoever wants to go first, how, how do you help people with falling short? And also, what are some of the things you've done to help yourself with falling short on goals?
2: Greg, you want to take that one?
3: I'll take that one. Um, it's difficult because it, it depends on the individual and or the group mm-hmm. and it depends on, on, on their expectations also. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the greatness that we've achieved here in the last three or four years at my school is the expectation and reaching those expectations, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, we didn't reach the ultimate goal, but but we made some achievements. And right. you take those achievements and then you try to grow from there, individually, we all got to go to work. You know, we mm-hmm. never know who's going to show up, who's going to be injured, who's going to be sick, et cetera. And the next man up mentality has been the best part of this group of young men that we have. Uh, individual goals and, and failures, it happens. Like I said, people get sick and you miss playing time, people get injured, uh, mm-hmm. people lose parents and loved ones and they won't be there the emotional aspect of it is you get a chance to grow and then we play the game. And that, that's the difference. part of people don't really understand life is a game. You just have to have tools to play the game. And the more tools you, you acquire and obtain and learn and, and put into practice, the better off you're going to be. That doesn't mean you, you're not going to be a champion or you're going to be a champion, but it mm-hmm. gives you an opportunity to compete. And so that's the number one thing that we try to make sure they understand: competition. Healthy competition is good. It's good for everyone. Always I think as a country, name, I think as a country, we we've started to give out this participation, and don't want people to compete. Not everyone's going to win. I had yeah. a young, I did a podcast with a man, and we tell people all the time that you can be whatever you want to be. That's not true. <laughs> You can't. You're not gonna. You can't be at everything, and we tell you you can, you can be president. Well, some people know that's a special role. That's a special accountability. We right. make people to become that, but that's not. That's not always achievable. Not everyone can right. be president, but you can work toward it. And so, right. as long as we're trying to achieve goals, and you have reasonable goals, like you said, or measurable goals, that's that's cool. But we also have to give them expectations. And those mm-hmm. expectations, when they're not reached, it's not the end of the world. It may seem like it's the end of the world, but we also have to have something to fall back on. And that's just being emotionally understanding of, of what is a game. And right. then how you play the game is, is, is key. Right.
2: Yeah, I think the, um, the things that I'm thinking about here with respect to goals, it's showing up. You know, showing up is is the goal, and if if you can show up, you're you got eighty percent of the game done. I'm, I'm thinking about some of the losses. My eldest daughter won three state championships in a row. They lost one game in three years, so she didn't have a whole lot of experience with loss. <laughs> mm. My my second one, she won a national championship, but she lost the state championship in high school, and that was a mm. devastating loss. But you know what we talked about is what you guys have all addressed. Is it's it's not a, a failure it's a learning experience what did we learn let's focus on that let's pick ourselves up hold ourselves accountable and move forward so i i agree with everything that you guys have said but i i think um i think that learning mm-hmm. from failure and showing up every day are the mm-hmm. you know if you can get that across your job's done you know
0: it, right. it, it yeah. um it reminds me of my my mantra um, personally and professionally, turning the adversities of my life into stepping stones for other people. And that word adversity can be used interchangeably with failure, with, you know, shortcomings, with setbacks, or whatever the case may be. So I just wanted to, I just, I pulled up real quick some notes that I've made on on conversations that I've had about failure. And and as I said, I, I truly see failure not as failure, but more so as feedback. I think that Failure is one of the most instructive parts of becoming a better person and a better athlete that um, you're you're capable of being. I think that uh, by definition, you cannot have a question without an answer um, in, in the life that you're living. There has to be an answer. So don't think that just because it didn't turn out the way you thought it was gonna turn out, that the answer is not still somewhere around you or connected to people that you're connected to. Fear, frustration, upset, disappointment, and anger are all energies that will never lead you into the higher order of living the life that you want to live and being the best athlete, the best father, the best mother, the best coach, the best trainer, or whatever the case is that you want to be. And, and here's one that, that people push back on, but I believe it to be true. I believe that the gift of having a problem to solve is that you become a better person, a better athlete, a better human being in the process. People, people are so problem focused oftentimes, they're so failure focused, that they don't look for the seed of equivalent benefit in whatever it is that they're going through. And I think that if people would be more intentional about elevating their perspective and giving themselves permission to look deeper at whatever it is that's going on, I really truly believe that there's a seed of equivalent benefit in everything that we do. And then just the last point on that is you have to expect to have some failures, expect to stumble. On your way to successes. And it's probably one of the oldest statements that we've ever had. It's not what happens to us in life that dictates our success or failure, it's how we respond to it. And we get to take control of how we respond. We don't have to be a victim of our situations or circumstances. And certainly that's not making light of anything that anybody goes through, but it's recognizing that it doesn't have to defeat you. Your past does not have to define your present and your future unless you decide that it should.
1: Mark, I had a follow-up question I wanted to ask you real quick. You mentioned that you know both your daughters, successful athletes and, and won a lot of games in uh, volleyball. Your first daughter that you mentioned that won the three straight national, cha- I mean not national, the three, three straight state championships. That's a tongue twister right there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> can you kind of talk on from your perspective of being her parent and everything, What were some of the things you witnessed as far as, you know, because when you win three straight, you know, titles and you only lose one game over the course of three years, you know, regardless if you acknowledge it or not as a team or as a coaching staff, obviously you have built up an expectation that when we walk out here, we expect excellence. We expect, damn near perfection we expect to go out here and win every single time what were some of the things you saw in terms of their goal setting and how they achieve those goals and maintain that level of consistency to win that many matches because that when we talk about yes you know failures you learn a lot through failures but when you start to win a certain amount it's almost easy for winning to become an expectation and almost like a given and so how do you maintain that level of focus and commitment to making sure that you maintain that level of
2: excellence you know, one, the first thing that comes to mind, Ronnie, is that, you know, when when you have kids that are playing sports, you have parents of the other teammates, and those parents can run the gamut, you know, and I just have to think that we got very lucky. And I, I think about all the parents, we, we all got along. There was very little vicarious living mm-hmm. through the kids. It was mm-hmm. very consistent messaging. You could really, you couldn't really go to one of the parents and get a different opinion than if you went to one of the other parents. And that was, The coach was aggressively involved. I think the consistency of the messaging and the, and the continued high expectation, you know, let's, don't be afraid of losing let's play to win. You know? So I, I, uh, I think we've all probably had experience with having parents of other teammates that we just wish, wish those parents were, were on another team, yeah. <laughs> but Definitely I, I, I feel, I, I feel very fortunate. I, I stepped into a couple of discussions over the course of maybe seven years, but um, I, I think I was really, really lucky in, in terms of the parents. I think that was the number one thing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
1: Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about in terms of exit interviews and different perspective is our athletes who are coming off of an injury um, during the season. Um, And I'm somebody who had a lot of experience with this. Unfortunately, Um, I ended two seasons back to back with injuries. My freshman year, my season got cut short during training camp with a foot injury. And then coming out of my junior season, I had uh, a retort my meniscus um, that I had surgically repaired. And so when I think of exit interviews for players who are coming off of injuries or have injuries at the end of the season, one of the first things that was going through my mind was I got to get healthy, you know? And so uh, we see this a lot with professional athletes who have season ended injuries and things like that. And you always hear the analysts talk about that. A lot of times athletes who are rehabbing during the off season is a difference in rehabbing and training. You know, rehabbing is where you're trying to get your body back to where it was, you know, before the injury. Training is where, I'm trying to increase what I already have overall and make it better going into the next season. So one of the things I always struggled with when I was an athlete and, you know, unfortunately, you know, at a D2 school, you know, our resources are limited as far as rehab things and stuff like that, access to, you know, uh, top of the notch technology and things like that. um, Anxiety really started to ramp up and kick in because for me, it was like, you know, I have goals. I have things I want to achieve for the, you know, personally and for the team. But I have to spend so much energy, time rehabbing, just give, just being able to get back to where I was. And so um, I wanted to ask you all, like, what were some of the things you all have seen, you know, as parents, coaches and things like that, helping players that, you know, they can really, you know, focus on getting rehabbed so they can be able to train and get ready for the next season? And Coach Thomas, we'll start with you.
3: Well, as, as a player, I played like you said, and I was at a Division One school. So, mm-hmm. you know, the... At that time, at the University of Arkansas, and, and where I was, when you got injured, you may not get back in the game. I mean, you may not get back on the field. Right? Uh, yeah. I played injured. You know, two of my three years as a starter, I played injured. Same here. Yep. Okay. Uh, and like you said, there, there are two different thoughts of understanding. Maintaining mm-hmm. is one thing. Trying to increase, trying to recover, mm-hmm. and having the fear that that may be. Another injury is yeah. it, uh, hard to swallow, but just yeah. but once again, it's another challenge. I put it in. I'm very competitive, mm-hmm. so I put that into the competitive process. Let's just get better. Do what they ask you to do. Do the sets. You know, do the rest. Do the rehab, etc. Uh, but I played injured two to three years as right. a as, as starter, and that's that's just what it was in the '80s. Um, Today's players had the luxury, they have the opportunity of different medical thought processes and the uh, improvement on how they rehab has changed 150 mm. degrees. Uh, we lost a player last year to a, a ACL and a torn uh, MCL meniscus. Mm. Uh, Was still is the fastest player on the team. He hasn't fully recovered. He's back with us. But he went through rehab, missed the entire season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Easily he can average 12 to 14 points a game. Mm -hmm. As a backup, he was pushing to be a starter. Mm -hmm. We are that deep that he may get six minutes, eight minutes a game and still average that. His mindset was the same thing. Mm -hmm. How do I get better? We had to tell him, slow down, don't worry about Trying to get it wrong, just, just to rehab it, give your, your body a chance, give your mind a chance to mm-hmm. catch up and work together. Um, but the pressure on, on these athletes is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to address it in a way that they understand that it's not the 20 games we'll play this year, it's the rest of your life. Yeah. And so we just have to get you to where you're healthy and strong. Mentally, you play the game. Emotionally, you play the game, but physically, you're not ready. When you're physically ready and get released, then we'll right. work on the implementation, the understanding,
1: et cetera, et cetera. I had a quick follow-up question to that, Coach, because you just you just made me think of something. Can you touch on real quick from your experience and perspective on the difference in when you see a high school athlete get injured and that thought process of rehabbing in terms of you know college dreams and things like that? But also, too, like you talked about, the, the pressure and anxiety of when you get injured in college, trying to keep your starting spot or trying to, you know, stay on the roster before they replace you with another four or five-star recruit. Well,
3: I allow our trainers. We have some great trainers at our high school, the Plano East. And allow the mm-hmm. trainers and, and those that they're working with, take that. I don't mm-hmm. – because I'm, I'm from a different area. We played injured. You play mm-hmm. with a sprained ankle, <laughs> you know. You you play with a with a a broken, you know, finger. Mm-hmm. I tell people today, man, they get a hangnail, they done for six weeks. You know, <laughs> they turn an ankle, they go to a family doctor, and a family doctor's gonna tell you, you know, <laughs> stay mm-hmm. off of it for six weeks. Right. You know, an athletic trainer or someone that's working in that, they say, hey, man, we'll rehab it right here. We'll ice it. We'll stretch it. We'll we'll rehab here, and you out maybe three or four days. So the thought, you know, let, let me have a broken finger and I go home and tell my mom I had a broken finger. She said, okay, we're going to go down to your doctor. That wasn't happening in the Haiti. No, you're <laughs> gonna, we're going to pop that joker back in place. We're going to put mm-hmm. sticks and splints and you're going to go out there and practice and, you know, dang a rehab, man, you playing the next game, you know. So it, it's changed because we have the, the student athletes uh, best interest at heart. Now, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I'm gonna put it at. Where in our day, man, you just rub some dirt on it <laughs> and you get back out there and you just go. Play. And Windex. <laughs> yeah, you, it, was, it was a different time frame. You know, it was a different era, and I'm not making light of it, but I can also tell you I was much tougher. I was way tougher as a player. Than what many of our young people are today, because we had that mindset. You you didn't you just didn't miss a game because of a pool growing. If you understand what I'm saying, you're gonna play with the pool growing, um, but mentally you have to work on yourself. And then that's that's the edge. When you're injured now, you don't have to play. You you lose prospect. You lose thought process or perspective. I meant to say. Where in our days, man, they, you you just had to play through it, and you figured out a way to play with it and through it and over it and etc.
1: Do you think that? Do you think that mindset that mindset shift of players maybe being more cautious? And yeah, I, I do agree that there is a, a a heightened level of sensitivity in today's student athletes that um, even for when I played, I you know I'm thirty, so I, you know I didn't play in the eighties or anything. I played in the early two thousands or whatnot, but. I played still when, you know, if you got a concussion, you got called, you know, I can't say it on, you know, live, but you got called the P word, you know, you got called soft, you got called, you know, sissy and things like that. And I was just, you know, 10, 15 years ago that was going on. Um, But I I, I do think that a lot of times, like you said, playing tough, playing through injury, when I was in college, I played two years on two torn meniscuses in both knees, got the lidocaine shot either before the game at halftime and yes, I had that mindset of, yes, if I could walk, I was going to play. You know, I wanted to do that for my team and things like that. Now, as a 30-year-old man, um, yeah, yes, awesome. if people ask me all the time, would I do it all over again? And and partly my pride would be like, yeah, I, I wouldn't change my football career for anything. But as a 30-year-old man who has nothing to do physically with football anymore, I might sit there and question myself of like, well, what did that toughness really get me in the long run, you know? So I do think there's a fine line between that mental toughness and being maybe a little bit more cautious about how you put your body on the line and things like that. But I do appreciate you bringing up that point because yes, there's obviously a big difference in the mindsets of when you played, when I played and now when the younger kids play. But I do think there has to be a happy medium on where we push our kids, having certain toughness and things like that. So I do appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Dr. Piz, did you have anything? Could I uh, have anything?
0: You know, I'm sitting here looking up stats.
1: Oh, uh, well, so uh, why you look up stats? I did want to, um, no, so I, I did want to access, huh?
0: I got them. Oh, go ahead. I, I, just cause you know, the mental toughness is always a trigger word for me Um, <laughs> because I think that there's, I, th- I think that it's a slippery slope. I think that it's a slippery slope. Yes, we do have to have mental toughness. Um as it relates to being successful in in one's athletic career. However, when you look at the fact that 35% of elite athletes suffer from various forms of mental health issues, while only 10% of the athletes um, with a known mental health condition seek care from a mental health professional, I think it's alarming. Um, It's deeply, deeply, deeply alarming. And I think that, you know, and we say it all the time, more work needs to be done to bridge that gap between mental toughness and mental illness, because what do we know to be true? The human mind is fragile and you can be tough all day long, but every camel can have a straw that breaks its back. And what that looks like in our athletes is suicide. It looks like disordered eating. It looks like depression. It looks like anxiety. It looks like burnout um, and a number of other things. And, and as you all were speaking, I, I think that it's so important to emphasize that when it, when it comes to recovering from injury, you have to look at that, that recovery trajectory through a holistic lens. Because it's not just the athlete that's recovering; it's who are the people outside of the athletic arena that are going to be instrumental in that recovery process. You know, how does the rehab impact the academic part of the athletic involvement, or in the professional at the professional level? You know, the team. Um, how does um, you know it impact the money, right? When, when you're playing at the professional level. So there's a holistic lens that we have to look at this through. And if we're honest, every single solitary one of those domains that impact the, the rehabilitation process has the ability to adversely impact the athlete's mental health as well. So I think that we have to have more conversations around that as we're, we're setting our athletes up for success, regardless of what level they play at.
3: Or failure made this for success or failure, mm-hmm. and to piggyback just a little bit that those statistics are not shared those statistics are not uh discussed because we we fail as players as well as ex players and professionals on mm-hmm. addressing those other entities. No one right. thinks about the mental aspect of of you going to class because you got to miss yeah. before rehab, or to mm-hmm. get your mom has to leave her job to pick you up, to drive you to your therapist, and yep. how it affects your dinner time and your yep. study. We we don't discuss all that stuff. So what you're mm-hmm. saying we we should and it needs to be, but that's an entirely different team. They yeah. can't, that's not a part of the athletic team. That's a part of the rehab team and and the the parenting team and the whole yeah. scope has to be addressed yeah. because we we don't I'm not gonna say we don't have the time but we don't have the time mm-hmm. because we're trying to figure out a way to win another game and get a player yeah. on the field etc. And then that's just your that's your part of it as a player or the student athlete. And yeah. once again, those statistics are, are, we don't discuss that we rarely right. talk.
0: About Right. right. You know what I think is so interesting about that coach and I don't mean to be morbid and it, and it breaks my heart because I've, I've lived it. I've, I've seen it happen. I hear coach, you know, haven't said it until now, but my, um, my first husband who who's now deceased was, uh, a scholar athlete and, and passed away tragically. Um, but the, when you look at that conversation, what I think is so incredibly important is we don't have those conversations because we're focused on the next win. But the moment a player dies, the whole team will show up at the funeral in their uniform. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. And I've seen it. And it's heartbreaking. And what I'm saying as a clinician, and I mean, you're a clinician too, it's like we, where the win is not the priority. That It is important, but if we don't prioritize the mental health of our athletes, yeah, we'll still get the win, but at what cost? And we're going to end up missing a game anyway, because we got to go to the field and we're going to play hard for them, but at what cost? And I think that it's possible to do both. I think it's possible to focus on mental health and to still get the win and to bring those numbers down considerably. Ronnie, we're at 11.52. Mm. For the right. I, so I, I, do, I just have one last question and I want uh, everybody to get a chance
1: to touch on it. Um, and, and I think this is a great way to cap off uh, talking about exit interviews and both of you all kind of hinted at this. I think both of you all are reading my script now. Um, so I wanted all of you all to touch on real quick how important. We've talked about the athletes and things like that, how important it is for them to goal set, how important and how imperative is it for the coaching staff, the coaches that are around these athletes to a have their own personal goal setting having have an awareness of their own personal goal setting, but also how their team goals, how their coaching goals impact the athletes, how important it is for the coaches to have an awareness and understanding of how their goals influence their athletes that they coach. And uh, Mark, if you want to start first or just from your perspective as a parent and with some of the things you saw that were helpful. Um, and then we can go to coach Thomas and Dr. Piskin can uh, close us out.
2: Yeah, I think the, um, it, to me, it goes back to the consistency of the messaging, you know, I think, and I, I think of it from a professional standpoint, you know, in an office setting with a, a boss and, and a team, it's no different, you know, to, to, to Greg's points, um, I keep, I'm laughing at the whole thing, get, rub some dirt on it, you know, it's just like this balance between having fortitude so you can survive life and, 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 and flourish in life versus a sensitivity to someone's emotional state, it's a tough one. That's an aspirational yeah. goal, Dr. Pitts, to be able to balance those two things. It's really tough. I think that in the teams that I've led, in the teams I've been captain of, it was critical that the coaches and the leaders um, and the and the players all were under the same set of expectations, all had the same aspirations, all had the same goals. I, I'm a New England guy, and I couldn't help thinking of, uh, not to digress, but when Drew Bledsoe went down and Tom Brady walked on the field, Drew Drew Bledsoe never stepped on the field again, so not the Patriots' field anyway. So I don't know where the balance is between fortitude and um, and sensitivity, but I think from a consistency standpoint, coaches, players, team leaders, captains, they got to be on the same page. They have to be.
1: Thank you for that, Mark. That was a wonderful answer. Thank you, Coach mm-hmm. Thomas. Well, you just have a have a goal.
3: And that goal is preached. That goal is, is worked toward, that goal is has to resonate with all 13, 14 players and your four coaches. And every day we touch on it in some form or fashion. And and I, I like to say this, I'm gonna plug my my book real quick. I wrote a Absolutely. book, it took 30 years for me to get it down and to get it to where you can put it into practice and to where you want it to where people would want to read it. and it, But it's practical, and it's called No Doubt Ain't Thomas. Um, Hall Quisper, from my Arkansas memoirs. But we got it in print, we got it in e-book, and then we got it in audio book. And you That's have fair. to work at that. The goal was to get it done. It took 30 years to get it done. We may not ever win a state championship of me as a coach and as an assistant coach, but we're going to work toward that goal all the time. And it's always going to be a practice that everyone try to have the same goal. And whatever that goal is, you put it in writing, you put it on a shirt, you put it in the locker room, and then you work toward it every day. And that coach has to resonate it. He has to share it. He has to believe it. And then those, those young people have got to believe it. Same thing in life. You got to get your goal. You got to find out what you want to do. Then you start working toward that goal. And then that goal is going to have some pitfalls. You're going to have some stumbling blocks but you still keep that goal in mind. If it's to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, to be a singer, you work on those things and then you just keep pushing and you have a balance to where you understand. I may not, I may not be a singer so I can be a producer. (laughs) I I may be able to write (laughs) instead of sing. You understand? But I'm still a part of that song as long as we understand what the end goal is.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Pitts, go ahead and uh, close us out. Well, after you share, after you share your uh, perspective.
0: Um, if I had to sum it up in a nutshell, as it relates to a strategy to bridge this gap between fortitude and sensitivity, I would say attitude reflects leadership, mm-hmm. and that's leadership at home, leadership in the community, leadership in the locker room, leadership literally in every aspect of the athlete's life. For me, it's about education. It's about empowerment. It's about liberation. And when I say that word liberation, I'm talking about liberation to be your best self as a human being, as an athlete, liberation to get more wins, liberation to be the best coach, liberation to be literally the absolute best version of yourself that you can be mind body and spirit and when you use that 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 statement buy-in i think that a big way that we can do that is by getting the buy-in from every level to combat the stigma associated with mental health treatment Police officers have to take a psychological evaluation. They have to go to the range and practice shooting. They have to re-qualify. If they use their weapon, particularly if there's a fatality, they have to see the, you know, the department shrink. There's so many other avenues that, that we navigate in our life's journey that require us to be of sound mind and body. I don't think that it should be viewed any differently when it comes to athletic involvement. Why can't it become a cultural norm in the locker room that mental health awareness is paramount, Taking care of yourself holistically, mind, body and spirit is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And if we can have that trickle down effect, where the the academic, um, excuse me, the athletic director, and the coaches, and the trainers, and the parents, and our community leaders, and our and you know the the players' associations, when you're talking about the pros, if everybody got on board and got that buy in and made awareness and treatment a a critical element to our success, how much more successful might our athletes be? I think that it needs to become a part of our athletic culture. And we're just not having enough substantive conversations because people attribute those conversations to weakness and it's simply not the case. That's it, that's what I have. Agreed, agreed, Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, man, Mr. Mark, Mr. Greg, thank both of you all for coming on and kicking it with us for our last episode of this season. Both of you all's insight and perspective has been phenomenal. Thank both of you all for coming on. How can the people reach you all? I know uh, Coach Thomas said you have a book. How can people get your book and everything? And then, Mark, how can people get in contact with you so they can become your next millionaires as well? Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) Hey, hey, come on, Mark. Help me out here. Uh, The book is available on on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books in print. It's, uh, It's an audio book. For those that do not like to read, but travel, they like to sit back and listen to other people. Uh, and it's in the ebook also. And it's wherever you get your, your iTunes, your, your, your music, you can get the books. Uh, but it's just my journey. And it's wonderful. I'm in, Like I said, I'm in Plano Independent School District, starting my 27th year. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, helping the community and the young folks. Mark. Thank
1: you.
2: Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Greg, and thank you both. Uh, you know, Doctor Pitts, Ronnie, for having me on the show. It's been my pleasure. Hopefully, there was some some help there provided in some capacity. I want to say my LinkedIn profile. I, I because of what I do for a living and it's so career focused and professional focused. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, and so my last name is A Y L W A R D. First name is Mark with a K. I'm easy to find, and I can be reached through various contact points if you get to my LinkedIn profile. That's probably the simplest thing to do.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, look, it's been a great episode. Episode 130 is in the books now. We're taking off for the summer. Catch us back in September. We got a lot of things that are going to be different, a lot of new changes, a lot of exciting things coming up. So catch us back in the fall. House Talk pregame is out. Enjoy. Have a great summer. We'll catch y'all in the fall.
3: Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: you. you.
0: Bye-bye.